Mark chapter 4 this evening. Verse 35, the Bible says, The same day when the evening was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over into the other side. And when they sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there rose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat the ship, so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say to him, Master, Cares thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? I want to preach tonight on the subject, Can you rest in the storm? I am. You've been around a lot of people in crazy circumstances, and you have seen everything. We all have seen from the craziest of behavior, panic behavior, to calm behavior. It is the calm behavior that we admire, that we look up to. Uh, there's nothing worse than watching grown men panic. I've seen grown men cry. That's never a good sight. Especially when it's not uh, because of pain, but because of fear. And uh, Christ, after a long day of ministry, he's going to cross over the Sea of Galilee. And tonight, this is not about information. Too often in our preaching, we've made preaching, teaching sessions. And I believe that's the purpose of internet and Bible encyclopedias. For you to do a little Bible study on your own. Amen. We want to talk about the practical application of this text. And I, I want to avoid some of the normal cliches that would come with a text like this. But we all are very well aware, no matter how godly you live, how perfectly you live the Christian life, you're going to face storms. And for young people, in their minds, they imagine a perfect life, a healthy life. You feel invincible in your youth. And because it hasn't happened to you yet, whether that's real, true financial hardship or uh, this semester we're covering some economics and we're talking about the Fed and the debt. It, we're talking about national debt, personal debt, and the looming financial crisis that is coming to the United States of America. And you're watching kids tap out halfway through class at just some of the news. And you're not trying to be depressing uh, but informational, but uh, here's, here's what happens in life when the reality of storms, whether that's a personal financial storm or whether that's a health storm, a marital storm, uh, storming your relationships, uh, your job situation, doesn't matter what kind of storm it is, it is normal and natural to allow a little bit of panic to enter into the heart and mind and this was, you know, when we talk about ships, we're, we're thinking boats, something larger. That when, when you hear, how many of you heard last year they found a boat off the Sea of Galilee and they're talking about, you know, 15 footer and the dimensions of that. And they said that was probably most likely similar in dimension to what the disciples used, Christ used across the, the sea. And I'm, I'm looking at that and listening to that and thinking, that's not the kind of boat I want to be in in the middle of a storm. 
I don't know how to swim, and I'm not a big fan of being out on the water. I like my feet on the shore. I love to fish, but I want to be on the shore, right? Best place to be. But Christ, when he said, let us pass over to the other side, you have to understand this is an invitation, but it's also a command and a promise. The three for one special right here. <clears throat> and if Christ says this, let, let me just say, we're not speaking metaphorically, but honestly, we know life is a, is a journey. It's a trip. Uh, it's a ride. At the moment you get saved, you uh, climb on to the good ship of grace. Amen? Amen. And you're going all the way to the other side. Uh, God's not going to leave you halfway there. But we do know this. If the Lord Jesus Christ faced storms in his life, God of the flesh... Can you imagine what his life would have been like if he would have said, I, because of my divinity, am going to avoid any hardship, problem, struggle, or storm? But to the contrary, he said, no, I want to set the example. And here's what Christ was doing. He is, verse 37, here's what takes place. There was a great storm of wind. Once again, the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't exaggerate. A great storm of wind. Now, I'm not a big fan of wind <clears throat> inland. This is not inland. This is on the water. A little boat. The waves are beating into the ship. This is not where you want the water to be. Now, if the wind is blowing hard enough for the water to get inside the boat, there's a problem. I've been there in a little two-man fishing boat. And there was a problem. <laughs> I never thought I'd find, and we didn't have a motor, and I don't think a trolling motor would have helped us at that moment. We had two oars, and after an hour of battling, we both just looked at each other and said, This is hopeless. And then he said, I'm so glad I know how to swim, but Adam, I can't save you and myself at the same time. I said, I hate to tell you the bad news, but we're both going to the very bottom. Because <laughs> whether or not you save me, you are my flotational device. <laughs> when the waves are going into the boat, it's really not a good feeling. And it was now, now once again, God does not exaggerate in his word. The boat was full of water. This is why you have panic. These guys know this boat cannot take any more water and stay above the water. But look at everything that's going on. What's about to say? He was, Christ was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they, here's, there's, they're talking among themselves, saying, we, we need to wake him. He's our only hope here. Now, here's, have any of you ever been there? You've been in a panic situation, and there's someone that's just totally calm. And you're saying, are you in drugs? <laughs> Do you not realize the danger? My <clears throat> dad, many of you knew my dad, who was a crazy nut. And you put him on a motorcycle or a Jeep. Uh, he was a crazy nut. I've had people ask me, Adam, you like motorcycles? I hate motorcycles. Why do you hate motorcycles? Because I rode all over the mountains of Colorado behind a crazy nut <laughs> that thought you had to do every dangerous mountain ride at 60 miles an hour instead of 30 miles an hour. So when you wreck, everything's life-threatening. And those of you who have been with Dad know 
uh, he had to push things as close to the edge of danger or death to be happy and jeeping. I don't know how many times uh, with my wife, we've gone to a place where you put the Jeep over the edge of the cliff, you drive somewhere you're not supposed to be, or you have boulders that are too big for a vehicle. And I said, Dad, uh, I'm going to go ahead and get out and walk. And when you finish this little drive here, I'll climb back in. Oh, son, don't be a wuss. I'm like, I have kids. <laughs> I have a family. I'm a provider. You do whatever you want to do. I'll take care of mom. You want to kill yourself. <laughs> I'll preach your funeral and won't tell anyone it was suicide. <clears throat> But there was just an extreme craziness. And I remember one time in Colorado with the, with the family. Uh, we're up. We put that Jeep on the side of a hill. And he's trying to get around uh, some rocks. And next thing you know, it's on two wheels. And two sides are rocking. And he said, okay, guys, we're going to have to climb out. Keep this thing from rolling over the edge. And we all climb off, thankfully, without the truck rolling. And he said, that was fun. That's great. We'll walk down. And I, I was like, that, that was great. That was death staring us in the face. That was a great white throne judgment. That was life over at the age of 12. What are we talking about? That was great. But everyone else in the vehicle was panicked, except the man who had caused that was sitting there asking the rest of us, why Why are you so panicked? Now, here's the difference. In Dad's case, he would push things to the edge We've all ridden with that and seen him beat up, wrecked, mashed up, skinned up, Brother Jay. How many times have you seen Dan in a bad spot? Should have had a broken neck, but he just had skin that was flayed by the mountainside. He wasn't in total control. But in this case, you see someone sleeping on the boat because he was what? In total control of the circumstances. Now, here's what they said of him. At the, at the start, now let's look at the start and the finish. When he said, let us pass over to the other side, when they had sent away the multitude, then they did what? Took him even as he was in the ship. What? What is that speaking of? They took him even as he was. Now think about who is climbing aboard this boat. These are the disciples. These are fishermen. Crossing this body of water was like you driving through downtown traffic. Maybe for an outsider who lives in the country, they would panic, but this is your daily routine. You do it all the time. It's not a big issue. You know the route. You know the drill. You know the headache. You're going to make it. There's no frustration. So for them, this is regular routine. Hey, this is our cup of tea. That's what we do. We've crossed this body of water. But in Christ's case, he's not a fisherman. He doesn't get on the water very often. We'll teach him the ropes. We'll get him across the water. We'll let him sleep and we'll handle this one. We'll take him even as he's tired, clueless about all of this, and uh, we'll do the rowing. You don't have to, no effort on your part, and we'll get you to the other side. Underestimated who they were inviting into that boat, undervaluing his presence. This, as much as we know about Christ and as much as we know about Scripture, we all do this in life. You know, this, you know why mornings do not include the Lord Jesus Christ? I got today. I got this one under control. I've done this uh, a million times. I've 
it, you know, my, my family's doing fine and things are okay at work and it, my truck's running fine and my finances are in order and I know things are getting a little crazy at the inflation. But, you know, I got this totally basically under control. Now, when the problem came and the storm hit and they need his help and they get to the other side. Now, here's what a storm does. A storm always reveals who he really is and who we really are. Because before the storm, we, we truly don't recognize either one. You know what we do in the middle of the storm? We reveal the animals that we really are. There's a lot of carnal behavior that takes place in the life of a Christian in the middle of a storm. It's not revealed under normal circumstances when life is going well. Now, here's what it says when they come out the other side. They feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now, let me ask you this. We know this is early in Christ's ministry, but at the same time, they've already seen miracles. They already have seen that this man has the power to totally control everything in creation. So what are the wind and the waves? Now, Christian, here's what I want to do for just a minute tonight. I want to pause in the message, and I want you to go back in your mind, because we're not going to turn to all the text. Go back in your mind all the way to creation. When he spoke the world into existence. Now, if he spoke the world into existence, it's under his absolute control. And then here's what you see. Every book of the Bible, every turning of the page, it's God in absolute control over every facet of his creation. Whether that's Sodom and Gomorrah, and there's a promise of destruction, and it's suddenly raining from the sky is fire and brimstone, and just as he said, the city is evaporated, <clears throat> absolutely destroyed. You can go anywhere, one of the greatest books in all the Bible about God's dominion over his creation, total control creation, is Exodus, and you see the plagues. Or you can go to Moses in a basket in the Nile, and he's not eaten or devoured by any of the animals on the Nile. I've been on the Nile. And we saw everything from crocs to hippos to lions in that area. It's, it's phenomenal what God can do. And then when you see the plagues, God said, let's just, let's just send millions of flies and millions of frogs and Water into blood, and the daylight turns night, and the darkness is so thick, no light can penetrate it, and we're going to stop it right, put a line here, right between my people and Egypt. Now, you know why the world cannot accept the Bible to be truth? They have to deny it. Because to believe the Bible is to believe that God is in total control of creation. The parting of the Red Sea. There's no issue that people are, are crying, obviously. Well, I don't know why they would cry. You would be crying too if that army was racing down upon you and you saw you had this large body of water to cross. And then theologians have to facilitate uh, God in his lack of power and 
say it wasn't the Red Sea, but the Reed Sea in a foot of water that they crossed and the wind that came through the valley. You know, you've got to be absolutely crazy to invent ways to facilitate God fulfilling his word. And here's what it is. In each one of these cases, you see, from, from Balaam deciding to go against God's word and go try to bless God's enemies and his donkey speaks to him. Do you say, Pastor, that is impossible? Yes, for us and for a donkey, that is impossible. But if you're the creator of the donkey, you could put words in his mouth and sounds in his vocal cords. And thoughts in the mind of a man to converse with the donkey. That to me is even more incredible. For Joshua, he made the sun to stand still. Every book of the Bible, you go to Daniel, and there's Daniel in the lion's den. And when those lions have been kept hungry and ferocious, and they're, they're ready for a good meal, and suddenly they're laying down. And the fire does not consume the three Hebrew children. Israel in the wilderness. I mean, water coming out of a rock. That doesn't just happen. Manna falling from heaven. And then... Is it falls from heaven, it knows what days of the week to send two portions, double portion, and what day not to send a portion. Right? Quails show up, and then Deuteronomy speaks of their shoes never getting old and their clothes not wearing out. All the laws of nature can be defied by God because God's the one that made the laws of nature. He controls every single detail of his creation not one not for one minute not one animal not one bird not one beast not the stars of the sky and you see what's going to take place in the book of revelation when all that all all hell breaks loose on earth because god controlling his creation will judge man with his creation elijah's down there at the brook and god sends a raven or ravens. You know what ravens do with meat? They don't share it. They eat it. But surprisingly, not in this case. They were bringing beef steaks to the man of God. How do you know they're beef steaks? You've got to read that in the Hebrew. Jonah. This great storm takes place. As soon as they throw Jonah overboard, the storm is calmed. A well shows up, swallows him, contains him for three days, and says, I'm done with you. Spits him out at the right location. No, no wonder the world looks and says, it's, it has to be a fairy tale. If, if you do not believe he's almighty God, you can't swallow that word any better than that well could swallow Jonah for more than three days. You see in God, and then when you get to the life of Christ, over life, over death, over leprosy, over the elements, over the winds and the waves, doesn't matter what it is, he curses the fig tree and it dies. Whatever he says is going to come to pass. In the book of Acts, you see a continuation of these things. The flipping jello, the place shakes. Okay, that's not accidental. 
Church, are you with me? We're not reading the scripture. We're not taking the time. You're familiar enough with the scriptures to know there's an almighty God. So when we have a storm in life, our faith failure is very different than those in the Bible because they're not looking back at hundreds of pages of scripture. They're not looking at history and all that God has done over thousands of years in the hand of God. We're looking back from the time you were in Sunday school. You, you were hearing these stories. You were listening to the tapes. You've watched the movies. You know Moses has a face of Charlton Heston. <laughs> You've seen the rod of God. So you know all this. They didn't have the advantages. But here's the problem. You have his word. His word said, uh, let us go to the other side. That means there's a purpose on the other side. And Chris, when you're in the middle of the storm, here's what you got to remember. God has plans on the other side. How many of you are old enough, you've already been through a few storms in life that you thought were life altering. You thought it was over, it was done. This is it. I can't deal with it anymore. This is what the doctors said. Uh, this, this is the bad news that we've received. This is the end, and God determines all of that. And you know what? Some of those that we so panicked over, we can't even remember. You know there were storms that took your blood pressure to about 200 over 140, and you can't even remember those storms. If, if I told you to go back and remind me of the five top storms in your life, you'd struggle to come up with three. Because at the moment what seemed so terrible, and here's... Here's uh, the other night, I say the other night, what, about a month ago, I don't know how it was here in Austin, but at least in Cedar Creek, it was a bad storm. I don't remember in my 13 years here of Austin hearing the wind or the rain or the hail, or, and I normally don't wake up during storms, but I was awakened on several occasions. I was tempted to look out the window because I thought my truck is getting beat half to death. And we already, a couple years ago, had our vehicles here in the parking lot, and some of you didn't come to church, so you escaped the hell damage. But all three of our vehicles got pummeled the same night. So I'm thinking, look, if we got to go to our insurance again and tell them once again here, three vehicles just got pummeled by hell. But I didn't get up, didn't bother to take a look, and I walked out the next morning, the sun was out. No trees had fallen, not a single ding on a single car. It just sounded a whole lot worse. Anybody here been in one of those storms? At the moment, it just felt a whole lot worse. It shook you up. You thought, I don't even want to know the details because the damage is going to be permanent. And then you walked out the other side, and two years later, someone sort of asked you about that storm. You said, what storm? What about that problem? I've had people ask me that. I didn't see it for three years. Come so what about that problem? I don't know. What problem? What are we talking about? It's amazing. But this, this is not one of those storms that was light wind, low potential damage. The boat's going down. Their lives are over. These are fishermen that have been on this body of water before. They've never been in these kind of circumstances. But they had someone in the boat now, here's the blessing. 
Look, look what it says in verse 36. When they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship, and they were also with him what? Now, those are really the ones I feel for. Because the inference is they're smaller than this one, and they don't have Christ in their boat. Now, church, here's what's amazing. Remind yourself this. When you go through a storm, Kim and I, when we've taken Ashley down to the hospitals or the doctors, you're running across unsaved parents with kids, three or four or five, going through cancer treatments, knowing this child only has a few months to live. Uh, You know, here's a 12-year-old, never live a normal life. Here's people without God, without a church, without the dwelling of the Holy Spirit, without a Bible, without any comfort from heaven. And I ask myself, how is it that they're going through the storm this well, at least superficially? And I know there are suicides in the world, there are drug overdose, there are great need for psychologists and psychiatrists. We understand all that. But at the end of the day, those boats do not have Christ. Those people are just trying to weather the storm and they have no church help, no word of God to wake up to, no Holy Spirit of God that will comfort them on a daily basis, not the presence of God, no prayer closet to go to and to cry out to God for a a miracle that day. They're going to be overwhelmed by the doctor bills. They're going to be overwhelmed by the thought. And at death, as they look at that child and say, this child has months to live, they feel they'll be eternally separated, and they will without Christ. And we have everything, friends of Christ, the hope of heaven. And sometimes we respond worse than the world does without Christ in their boat. I wonder if they're close enough to see the panic of the disciples. I wonder if they were in such peril going down. They simply took a look over and said, look, Peter and James are screaming too. And then these words, oh, not me, Pastor, I never thought this. Master, cares thou not that we perish? Oh, he came to give his life. He left heaven. He obviously doesn't care. <laughs> this is the one that you've already called the Savior. Okay, that, that means he deeply cares. But it's easy, church, it is easy. When you get in the middle of a severe storm, you find yourself in a severe crisis. It doesn't matter if it's health or financial. It doesn't matter, marital. You will get to a point where it feels like Christ is asleep, and you're going to ask yourself, does God really see? Does he notice my situation? Does he really care enough to do something on my behalf? And the answer to all those questions is the same. Yes, yes, yes. Now, here's the amazing thing about the patience of the master. Look what it says, verse 39. So, he arose and rebuked the wind. And let me ask you this. If, if, if your child in the middle of a storm woke you up screaming, and the first words you hear are, Mama, don't you even care about me? Don't you even love me enough to pay attention to what I'm going through? So you'd say, oh, hold on here. Okay, we don't need to start this conversation with an accusation. He doesn't, he should have rebuked the disciples. 
and said, the first thing you wake me up with are words of accusation. Do I not care about you? Yes, I care about you. He said, I just want to see how bad you're going to sweat. I just want to let you guys know your faith is not as strong. Your spiritual biceps are not as big as you think. It's like these high schoolers out here on the basketball court. Oh, man, I, w- I wish. Yeah, I wish I went. Yeah, if I went to public school, I'd be like, number one score in the state. <laughs> no, you'd be playing tailback. Pastor, they don't have tailbacks in basketball. Oh, yeah, in your case, they would, because every time you get on the court, the coach would say, get your tailback on the bench. <laughs> Overrate who you are. Uh, and you know what we do? We overrate our faith. He rebuked the wind. He said, can, can you imagine this? Okay, he looks at the... He smacks down the wind. Trust me, I've, I've been out on the water when I wanted to. We were out with James one time in Alaska, fishing for halibut. We had swells that were pretty tall. I've never been to swells that, that high. Smashing that boat around. And uh, yeah, I started chumming before we even got to our destination. Now, here's the amazing thing. Biologically, there's no explanation. You say chumming, what's that mean? You're unloading what was in your stomach. But I didn't eat much breakfast. And somehow it multiplied because I threw it for four straight hours. And every time I pick up my head and I look at the water, I throw up again. But he sure brought in a lot of halibut. <laughs> it sure would have been nice if I would have had someone on that boat to rebuke the wind. Amen. And here's what happens in the middle of the storm. We get stomach sick because you know what we do? We want God at our command to rebuke the wind. But God, I think this needs to stop now. I mean, understand, he has a better idea of when it should start, when it should stop, and how much we can take, and what the purpose is in all of this. But he doesn't rebuke them, he rebukes the wind and the sea, and says, peace be still. Immediately the wind ceases. there's a great calm. He's the only one, he's the only one that brings calm to the circumstance, he's the only one that calm the storm, and ladies, be careful. You look at that man like he's the one ultimately in charge, and he's not. He can't calm that storm. Oh, there are a lot of things I can do, but there are some storms I can't calm. I can't speak to the wind. And the doctors can't calm the storm. You know what we do? It's amazing how much more confidence we put in a doctor, doctor, I'm going to come, and if I pay enough money, I would think that you, with all your technology, would come with a solution that would calm this storm. Now, if you you put your confidence in today's doctor, that's why we refer to them as practicing medicine. I don't care, oh, they're, they're still practicing on you. Doesn't that make you feel better? Uh Uh-huh. Don't ask them about their success. If you don't want to leave their depressed, don't ask them about their success ratio. 
Mm -hmm. They'll throw medicine at you. Hoping to get some kickback from that. Making another person a successful dope head. Thank you, Miss Debbie. The only person I know here say amen to their pastor tonight. He said to them, how, why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? Now, really, this point we want to get to tonight. Resting in the storm is possible, but only, only by faith. And church, here's what you want to do before you get to the storm. You don't want to think that the, that the storm is going to grow my faith. That's a big mistake. The storm's going to reveal your faith. You need to grow your faith before you ever step into the storm. Because the storm is not a time to grow your faith. That's a time where it's going to be revealed. Now, let's, let's go quickly to two places. Acts 12. Just a quick reminder, although most are very familiar. You're never going to have peace in the storm until you're convinced that God's in total control. So Peter's on this boat. I'm guessing as a spokesman, he's one of those speaking with the loudest voice. Now, fast forward a few years. Where's Peter find himself? Now, this is a real storm. This is what we call a life-threatening storm. What are the circumstances here? Where's Peter at? Someone help me out. He's in, he's in jail. What just happened to James? He's killed. Lethal injection or... Something a little more violent than that. Yeah. Okay. Lay down. Get the guy with the mask and the huge sword over here. And then swing as hard as you can and detach his head from his shoulders. Okay. And then this prison was basically the next in line philosophy. So Peter is there next in line. And have his head detached from his shoulders, verse 3. Because he saw it please the Jews, he proceeded, this is Herod, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of the unleavened bread, when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison, delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Peter therefore was kept in prison. Prayer was made. Verse 6, when Herod would have brought him forth the same night, Peter was what? Do you see the transformation that's taking place? Peter now is able to sleep in the storm because it wasn't his first storm, because his faith had grown. Now, as spiritual, here's how you can identify spiritual leadership. Spiritual leadership is watching how that man or woman responds in the storm. When you've been through enough storms, you know, you know what? Lay down, stay calm, go to the cellar, stay in the basement, we're going to get through this. Not a problem. A lot of wind. This hurricane. Uh, we got supplies. We still got the 50 gallons of wheat from white 2K. Still maybe edible. Only the guilty ones are not smiling. You know what happens in true spiritual leadership? Over the years, you learn how to rest in the storm. There's nothing worse than watching... Age alone should help this, but spiritual age should help as well. If you see a 20-year-old that's calm and a 50-year-old that's panicked, something strange about that scene, that picture. Here's what Peter's doing. There's a strange calmness that's going on, and these guys are, come on, 
How many people are going to put four quaternions of soldiers to guard a preacher? And the man, I'll just be honest with you. I sleep well. The Bible has a promise that he gives his beloved sleep. Some of you are not his beloved. I hate to break the bad news. But Peter is what? I'm, now, hold on for a second. He is so asleep. Once again, remember that God is very cautious in how he words his holy scripture. Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. Now, let me ask you this. What do you think these sleeping conditions are? Okay, he's chained between guards. Do you think they have him on a mattress? No. Do you care how Manton sleeps before he's beheaded? I guarantee he's on a, a crude floor. If it's not dirt or rock, it's concrete. But we're talking about the roughest of circumstances. The place does not smell good. They're bound with two chains. How many of you could sleep in these circumstances at all? And the keepers before the door that kept the prison, behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him. And a light shined. Now, let me ask you this. So if a light shines out of the dark, don't you think that'd be enough to wake you up? And he smote Peter. You know what that means? Hey, Pete. Hey, Pete. Put the light in his eyes. Hey, Pete. Hey, Pete. He's out. He's resting in the middle of the storm. Now, this is Christian maturity. Christian, this, this is our goal. This is where we want to get. This, this wasn't Peter's first stop. It wasn't his first year. It wasn't his second year. It wasn't his third year. It wasn't his fourth year. It wasn't his fifth year. He had grown enough in the Lord. He had come to a place where he said, you know what? God's in total charge. Now, let me ask you this. There's proof here that God was in total charge of all of the elements. How do you not wake up everyone there with this kind of light and this kind of noise? And you're smiting. How did you not wake up everyone? And he walks out. You know why? God is in charge of the elements. And Peter had come to this conclusion. Now go with me to Daniel 6. We'll be done. This is spiritual growth. When you come to a place, you say, I can rest in the storm. Daniel 6, very common passage we all know. Verse 10, now when Daniel knew the writing was signed. What, what was the writing? If anybody prays to any other God, he's going to become lion's food. When he knew this, he went to his house. His windows being open. He kneeled upon his knees. He gave thanks. And he said, I don't care who sees me. You know what he was doing? Resting in the middle of the storm. Why? He said, God's in total control of his creation. So if God wants me to be eaten by a lion, I'll be eaten by a lion. If he doesn't want me to be eaten by a lion, I won't. The king was the only one that didn't sleep that night. You know the story. He's nervous. He runs into haste very early in the morning. Verse 19, he went in haste to the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried with lamentation, a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said to Daniel, Daniel, thy servant, servant of the living God, is thy God whom thou servest continually able to deliver thee? Is he able? Then said Daniel, O king, live forever. My God has sent his angels, has shut the lion's mouths, that they've not hurt me for as much as before him innocency was found in me. 
and also before thee, O king. Have I done no hurt? It wasn't an issue. It wasn't a problem. No high blood pressure. I was doing right. Now, this is a 90-year-old man. You say, well, he was ready to check out anyways. No. You know what this is? This is spiritual growth where he said there's a God that's in control. There are things that are out of my control. So I'm going to leave him to worry about things that are under his control. And you know what I can control? I can control that I'm supposed to pray. I'll do that. And I can't do anything about the lions. And I can't do anything about the king. I can't do anything about the, uh, the crib they're going to throw me in. I can't do anything about that. But there's a God in heaven that can. And Christians, when we realize. Now, here's how, how, here's how our chapter ends. Mark chapter 4, verse 41. What's it say? So they... Christ comes, he asks them about their faith. How, how is it? That you had no faith, so little faith. After all that I've said, and all that I've done, and all that you've seen. Now someone read verse 41, Mark 4. What's it say? And they feared exceedingly. And they what? And they feared exceedingly. Hold on for a second. Weren't you supposed to move past fear? Why are you fearing exceedingly? Now, here's what faith is. Faith isn't the absence of fear. It's changing who we fear and what we fear. If you think the faith means we stop fearing danger, you've lost your mind. The ocean is to be feared. Water in the boat is to be feared. Faith is not saying, hey, looky there. The boat's filling up with water. Hey, we're going down, guys. Look at this. We get to see the bottom of this water. This is incredible. How many's ever been deep sea diving? We get to do it in the middle of the storm without the equipment. Okay, that's someone that needs a, a brain transplant or forgot his medication for the day. Faith is not the absence of fear. It's deciding who to fear and what to fear and on what level to fear. And they said, we were fearing the storm. We're supposed to be fearing the God of heaven, the maker of all of this. And here's what real faith and maturity is. When we get to a place where we actually in the middle of the storm. Now, if it's not our storm, it's not a problem. But when you're going through a storm like Mark and Kinder have gone through for the past six years, in and out of emergency rooms, surgeries, watching a child near death consistently, no sleep. Kinder's not known a true night of sleep in six years. That's a storm most people can't understand. But at some point, you move from the fear of what's going to happen next to saying there's a God in heaven that controls all of this, controls the length of life and the quality of life and what God does through all of this. And I think instead of fearing the trauma of the unknown, we fear the God of heaven, a holy fear, a righteous fear. There's a respect and awe and understanding, a love. Otherwise, Christians, you're never going to rest in the storm.